You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we're in a, a series on convictions. And what I would like to do right now is tell you one of the saddest ministry stories I think I've ever heard. And I've got a purpose in telling it to prepare us for this next message. I was listening to a message by a preacher uh, preach. And he mentioned that he was speaking at a conference on holiness and purity. Some of the things we sang about a moment ago about our great God. And how a follower of Jesus Christ should have a conviction about purity or, or, or have his heart bent towards a desire to be pure and to be holy like God is holy. It was a young man, or rather at that time an older man, middle-aged man, probably a pastor, because it was a pastor's conference, sitting on the front row on the edge of his seat. He said everybody was listening, but this particular gentleman was on the edge of his seat, taking it all in as I spoke about some of the temptations and things that are going on. And after the service, you know, he said a lot of folks were kind of just talking to him. And he noticed this man that was sitting on the front row on the edge of his seat also standing just a few feet away. And even, he said, he even turned towards him at once because he felt bad. He was standing there for so long. He thought, you know, man, maybe I should just take a moment. He said, sir, he goes, no, 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 I'm good. Finish. Talk to everybody. He said, I could tell that, you know, whatever he wanted to tell me, he didn't want anybody else to hear. And so everybody kind of cleared out, and he approached me, and I asked him, you know, hey, how are you doing? Thanks for hanging out. He immediately went to his son, who is a missionary in Southeast Asia. And he said, you know, I have a son, and and I'm so proud of him. He's a missionary in Southeast Asia, and he kind of bragged on, and it was great. He said, but I was thinking, okay, is that why you waited this long just to tell me that? And so it was great. He was excited about it. But he said, oh, that's fantastic. He said, that, that, that's really good. Is that, is that what you want to tell me? And the gentleman kind of put his head down and said, well, I didn't want to talk to you about your message. He said, I've, I've struggled with sexual addiction all my life. And he said, you know, I've been in church leadership for 30 years. And off and on, I've just had seasons where, he said, I, I do really well for a while. And, and then I would go back and, and I do well for a while and go back. It's just been a struggle. And, but, you know, God's really helping me through it. And he said, so I just thought I would ask him. I mean, it sounded like he was getting some victory. So I said, you know, hey, well, what was the turning point? What, what changed everything for you? And he said, well, I was, uh, you know, one night I was in a motel room by myself in front of my computer. I'm, I'm ashamed, obviously, always when I have to say I was watching things that were not anything that my eyes should have been upon at all, but I was. In fact, there was multiple people involved on the screen, and, and I was watching this, sadly, and a face turned and looked at me, and it was my son in that pornographic video. And he said, I was so ashamed. I was devastated. He said, I couldn't sleep that night. I bought a plane ticket the next day. This was, this was actually back when his son was in college. So his son was on the mission field by this time. He was still struggling in his sin. His son had gotten victory and gone on to the ministry. He gets in a plane. That next morning, he flies 
to the country that his son was serving in, told his son what happened and confessed his sin and repented and got things right with his son and the Lord began to mend their relationship and things are so much better now. He shared with that pastor, he said, look, tell my story. These are real people. These, these people have families, and moms and dads. I kind of expect it after I finish that story for you to be exactly how you are because that's kind of how I need you to be this sermon. I, I need your attention. As we move to the subject of convicted about purity. Because we live in a society that is so infested with sexual immorality. We live in a society that is so infested with sexual temptation. In church, God's word calls us as followers of Jesus Christ to have a personal conviction about purity. And that's the goal of the message. And that's a lofty goal. It is. And so I'd like to ask you to take a few moments and pray with me and for me right now. Father, I need your help. We need your help. Lord Jesus, of all the messages in this six-sermon series, this would be the one that I, in a way, was most looking forward to. The most time has been put into it. Five or six weeks of preparation, but then again in some ways not looking forward to it, knowing the gravity of weight that is on me right now to preach this message and be pure to the text and not compromise at all. And God, I need your help. And really, I have your help in your Holy Spirit and in your perfect, infallible word. So God, may I trust you and may we trust you for an outcome that's going to give you glory and honor and bring our church closer, closer to Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith, your son. We love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Convictions. Building a solid foundation. And we're doing that, church. And God is working. I mean, we talked about change, haven't we? Change, sanctification, this process that is taking place in our lives. And it's not all at once. It's something that God does, but we're convicted about it. I mean, we don't want to stay the same. We, we desire for God to change us and to mold us and to make us into the image of his son. And we are in that process. It, it's called change, and we're convicted about change. We then talked about speech, and we committed together. Prayerfully, we committed together that we uh, were going to be convicted about our speech when it grieves the Holy Spirit. We will not excuse our speech any longer. And I know that God has been transforming uh, my speech and, and even areas in my own life that I could sense that I needed to adjust. And I've, I've been, well, I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit's been quickly identifying these things in my life that I not let the sun go down at all, even close on my wrath. And then we talked about forgiveness last week. Forgiveness. And I, I don't know that I've, I've had a, a, a stronger response to that message than I've had in 21 other sermons in 28 years as pastor. 21 sermons on forgiveness, this being the 22nd, and, and give or take one or two. And, and the response to this was, was overwhelming. It, it, it seems like it was timely that we have a conviction about forgiveness, that we understand that there are no long-term relationships without multiple small forgivenesses, many of those, and quite a few large forgivenesses. But this is essential. It's important to God. It should be important to us. Today, 
we're going to talk about convicted about purity. And so let's jump into the message, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. First of all, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let's start here. Are you ready? We're going to start here and we're going to end here. So let's start with this. The pattern, the pattern of purity is Jesus Christ. He is our example. He is who we are imitating. Literally, as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to imitate him. Our desire, more than anything else, should be to imitate him. Again, Ephesians 5.1, just the emphasis on that. Look at it. Therefore, be imitators of God. How clear can that be? That's our job. That's our goal. That's what we're called to, to be imitators of God. But if I were to say to someone right now, pick somebody out, Jerome. If I were to say to Jerome, about my age, you know, hey, Jerome, adult, young, you know, middle-aged man. Jerome, now I want you to watch me closely. And I want you to do this and this and this and this. Are you ready? In fact, come up, come on up stage and, and, and wait a minute. Wait, wait, you're not supposed to do that. I'm shocked. Wow, I've got a really good guy here. You can be seated. I'm going to tell you right now, if you would have, I would have predicted a million dollars that Jerome would get up that quick. I, rather, I would have predicted, Marlena, why do we have to sit on the stupid second row? That's a loyal man right there. Now, if the illustration would have gone right, and I wouldn't have such a good friend, more than likely, in fact, the first service, it did go right. No, it went right this time, because you're awesome, but first service, the guy just looked at me like, ain't happening. (laughs) And honestly, most of us would be there, at least on the first or second. I mean, maybe if I begged you to come or offered you 20 bucks, you know, okay, I'll do the four crazy dance moves, you know. But if I were to ask a child, Bryce. In fact, Daniel told me, because we had the father-son activity, and Daniel and Bryce and his, both his boys came to the activity, but I gave books out to the fathers and son, and I guess I gave Bryce the book that I was giving to your family, right? And he said, preacher, it's crazy. We go home, Bryce says, uh, Daddy, where's the book preacher gave me? Read it. He said to read it, let's read it. If preacher said, read it, we got to read it. He said, I'm reading him the foreword. I don't think he knows what I'm talking about, but we read it every night. And we'll probably read it every night for weeks. It's the book you gave him. You said read it. We're going to read it. And here's why. Because of the next verse. Be imitators of God as beloved children. If I were to call a child to come up and do those four dance moves, and I guess Jerome's more like a child than an adult. I bet he is too. I bet, yeah, yeah, okay. That, that's what happened. Yeah, I've, I've talked to your boys. I've seen you guys wrestle on the ground. I don't recommend wrestling with Darian. Just a thought, just a thought. Ethan and Isaiah, no problem. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking, if you're laughing, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Anyway, but if I would ask a child, they'd run up here and no problem. It's, it's, isn't it amazing how God understands that we should be like children, even in our faith, come to Christ like a child. You see, the point is this, how do adults mimic? Adults mimic half-heartedly. Adults mimic with caution. 
Adults mimic by looking around and saying, you know, I wonder if anybody's going to think I'm crazy. Adults would have thought, most adults would have thought, that preacher's crazy. I'll tell you, I'm not coming back to this place. If that's the way they do things around here, I mean, it's my first service. He's got me on the platform. But how do children mimic enthusiastically, quickly, and without embarrassment? So how would a dearly beloved child react? I think that that child would react with confidence, with security, with consistency. Not everyone has grown up dearly beloved by a parent. I get it. But if you have, if you had the privilege of growing up in a home where you were dearly beloved, then you understand the gift that God gave you in that. But can I encourage everybody here today, just for a moment, point to the person who is dearly beloved by God. Ready? Let's do it together. Point to the person who is dearly beloved by God. Me. You. We're dearly beloved by God. He doesn't love us. He dearly loves us. You are. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 12, we are told, but to all who did receive him, have you received him? Listen to this. To all who have received him, to all who have believed in his name, he gave the authority. He gave the right. Craig said the power to become children of God. You're not God's child because you say you are. But if you have believed in Jesus, then God has given you the authority to say you are. Amen. To them, he's given the authority, the right to be called the sons of God. According to God's word, my friend, if you believed in Jesus, you are a son and a daughter of God. And you're dearly beloved. And that's amazing. Look again with me, if you would, at those verses. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's take it all in. Let's be true to the text here. Walk in love. Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I have that on this particular screen. I have it capitalized because... There's an emphasis here on this fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God as Jesus sacrificed himself. And, and, and that was an offering to God the Father when Jesus gave his life for us. Oh, that was, a, that was a moment where God said, oh, mankind now can be saved. My son gave his life. Just like that, you and I ought to be living our lives in such a way that offer that fragrant offering, that, that sweet-smelling aroma to the nostrils of our great God. The point here is this. Listen, when I am living a life of purity, when I am making righteous choices, choosing what is pure, choosing what is righteous, choosing what is holy and honoring to God, that God is taking that in. Oh, it reminds me of when my son Jesus died on the cross. Wow, what a fragrant offering. I know it's tough in 2021 to live a holy, righteous life. But I sure do enjoy watching my children do it. It's a fragrant offering. So the pattern of purity is Jesus. He is the one we are imitating. Again, staying true to the text, look at verse 2. He just goes to the opposite. Because the opposite of purity is perversion. Look at Ephesians 5, 3. But sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper 
among saints. The opposite of purity is perversion, immorality, impurity, covetousness. Let's break those three words down in that verse. Number one, immorality. In the Greek, it's the word, it's where we get that word, uh, well, in the Greek it would be pornea, where we get our word pornography. And the word here, immorality, involves all forms of sexual sin, all forms. Sometimes we like to single the sins out that we're not involved in, you know, because that was a lot worse. I mean, yeah, I got this issue here. No, no, all forms of sexual sin, whether it be adultery, fornication, pornography, homosexuality, whatever. All immorality. And you know, I don't have to give you statistics. You know how bad it is. I'll give you a handful. There are thousands of statistics that will set you back in your seat. Here's a few. Globally, porn is estimated at a $97 billion industry. Over 100,000 porn commercial sites right now and 200 new ones every day. The world's second largest free porn site received over 42 trillion site visits in 2019. 23% of men have had 5 to 10 partners. 17% have had more than 20 partners. One in seven teenagers in high school have had at least four sexual partners by the time they graduate. The average age of the first sexual encounter is 16 years old now. We have a serious problem in this world with sexual sin. Immorality. Number two, impurity. He says very clearly, but sexual immorality and all impurity. That word literally means uncleanness. It speaks to this as if a body is being decayed as it's dead and in the grave and it begins to decay and die and rot uncleanness and then he uses this word covetousness some of your translations would say greed because greed isn't just about money see covetousness is about wanting anything that you can't righteously have now now notice at the end of verse 3 something very almost shocking I've read it before but I Again, reading it so many times over the past several weeks, it it has really been an awakening section of this verse for me. It says, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Not even named, not even once, not one time, never named. So, So what is he saying? Well, as you look today, 2021, 600 Garland Street, Gospel Life Baptist Church, 9 o'clock, 1045 service, several hundred people. If you look across the landscape of this church, if we were to adhere to the biblical code of conduct that God is calling us to in this scripture, then you couldn't find not one person on any pew, not one person anywhere on this campus that is a member, an active member of Gospel Light that was involved in sexual immorality impurity or covetousness not one i say all that to say this how many people in this room very humbly say we probably need some improvement in that area preacher my hand goes up 
We probably need a little improvement in that area. Let it not once be named among you, not even one time. This is serious. This is so serious. In verse 3, he's describing the, the physical sense of sexual sin. Immorality, impurity, covetousness. But then in verse 4, he goes back to speech. He then begins to talk convicted about speech. He, he talks about the verbal sins that have to do with sensuality. Look at it. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, anything out of place. Anything. Wow. Filthiness. As I began to study that word, that's just general obscenities. Just general words that we yell out when we just feel like it, something doesn't go right in our day, we're just driving down the road, somebody pulls out, just, you know, I mean, just general obscenities. Or it's any talk that is sexually degrading of someone else's sin. Which I'll be honest with you, in many churches, I've seen this take place in the pulpit. And I'm going to literally, in just a few moments, refer to the pulpit and how much of a blessing or how dangerous this can be to the church. But there's, there, there's a lot of degrading of someone else's sexual sin, as if, you know, we're better than them, as if somehow, you know, we, they're just, you know, they're just some other kind of a person that's just a messed up, and I'm better, and we kind of get this, and we start calling their sin things that are degrading and ugly, and again, I'm not here to get graphic at all. I, I know how to be appropriate in these moments, but I think you've heard it. I, I, I've heard it. I've I've experienced it. I've been at maybe a table where I've been kind of shocked at some of the preacher talk about other people's sexual sins. And we should be praying for people, reaching out to people and loving people, not, not degrading them. This is filthiness or foolish talk. You know, silly talking is, I mean, I get it. There's a place for it, right? I mean, we we have fun with one another. We, we can, at times, we, sarcasm can, can, can kind of flow and feel natural. And some people, that's kind of their default, you know, in communication. But I think we got to be careful about this. This silly talking, speaking of just gutter mouth and perverse talk. Talk that has no place in the church or in the Christian's life for, for a follower of Jesus Christ to have foolish talk is, is, is a dangerous thing. Scripture says it's out of place. And then crude joking. Turning any comment into something obscene. In fact, comedy's something that I'm sure all of us would enjoy, but it it seems as if 99% of comedy, 30 seconds out of the gates, you're turning it off if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's going to get crude and foolish and nasty really quick. I mean, comedy's just, it, it's, it's just, if it doesn't turn sexual, it's, it's, it doesn't seem to be funny to the majority of our world today. Crude joking. It is out of place. This is not appropriate for a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not a real big television guy and didn't have one for like 15 years. I have one now, but I don't watch I, hardly at all. I honestly haven't watched one March Madness game yet. And just when you got weddings and activities and you just, it's hard to sit down for an hour and a half, you know. I, I probably will today maybe try to catch one. But, but you know, I was, uh, I was talking to uh, a gentleman in our church, and he mentioned this 
program, which I had never heard of, called Game of Thrones. And he just mentioned that there's a lot of people that watch it, a lot of Christians that watch it, a lot of people in our church that watch it. And, and I was like, was well, it bad? He said, well, just check it out. I couldn't believe it. I didn't, I didn't watch the program. I don't think he meant check it out, watch it. But I just looked into it and, and, and the nudity and the sexual scenes, for which I'm sure you know that those people really, most of them, 80, 85, aren't married. And he told me it might be good just to check out the 12 questions that John Piper on a blog asked that if every Christian would ask themselves these 12 questions before watching an episode, you probably wouldn't watch another episode. And just to make sure that you look up those 12 questions, number seven is the one that'll, that'll put you back in your seat. Question number seven. Listen, the, the, your television is something that, that, that will change after this message if you take it serious. If you take it serious. Now, what are we to do instead of these things? Well, there's an option. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Okay, well, what do I do then? That's like everything I talk about. I mean, what do I replace it with? I mean, you know, if you can't have a little fun, if you can't be crummy, what do you want me to, what do you want to come out of my mouth? Suggestion from God. Thanksgiving. How cool is that? This morning at 5, I got up at 5.45, I got my large McDonald's coffee with three creams. Love it. $1.90, it's amazing. Drank my coffee, drove around Hot Springs, and just thanked God for you, for my family, for spring break, for teachers especially. I thank God for yesterday, for the wedding, for the youth activity. I just thanked God. I I had to stop and say, if I don't get to the office and study, I'm going to thank God all morning and not be ready. I said, I mean, it's amazing how much we can be. In fact, time out. 30 seconds. I want everybody to take 30 seconds and just, if somebody's sitting next to you or if you've got a family, in fact, Vince, jump in with Michelle and Sarah. Let's take 30 seconds. Just be thankful to one another. Go ahead and talk. Be thankful. What are you thankful for? Two, one, wow. I heard laughing, I heard talking, I heard chatter. I mean, it, it looks like you guys could have kept going. I mean, listen, here, here's the deal, church. If it shouldn't be once named among us, and we should be giving thanks, then my suggestion is this. When four or five Christians get together at a small group, in a locker room, at a men's, a foursome golfing when four or five men or women get together and talk around the tea or where do you guys like to go, honey? The little restaurant, the floofy, foofy. Cafe 1217. You ain't catching me there. I ain't never. Brussels sprouts and everything. Good night, man. You need burgers and a fry. Hallelujah. Amen, man. Yes. K-12-17. 
Cafe 1217. Anyway, okay, I'm just kidding. I love you. If you're an owner of Cafe 1217, please come back to church. All my ladies go to your... I shouldn't have done that, right? I'm on live stream. That was a bad mistake there. Yeah. Support local business. Okay. I, I, I just have fun. I, I, I laugh at my wife because every time I ask her, where'd you go? Cafe 1217. Where'd you eat? All oh, the salads and the Brussels... The, the, what do you call it? Thing? Alfalfa sprouts or something? Yeah. Bad illustration. Anyway. When you get together with friends, when you get together with friends, and somebody begins to talk off color, gossip, criticism, sexual innuendo, could I suggest if you're a faithful member of Gospel Light to stop within a moment and say, excuse me, that's not to be named once among us. Not once. We just don't talk that way. We're followers of Christ, right? And just cheer everybody. Hey, what are we thankful Instead of doing this, instead of talking about people being critical, crude, let's, talk, let's be thankful. Who, who's got something to be thankful? I guarantee you this church would experience potentially some growth and sanctification in it not being named once among us because Jesus is coming for his bride. Amen. And we want to be ready. In so many churches, it seems like liberty has gone bad. It seems as if that legalism is in the rearview mirror and license is the order of the day. It seems so many have gone from everything's wrong to nothing's unacceptable anymore. So you say, preacher, what's the big deal, really? I mean, come on, lighten up. You're, this is intense. I mean, you know, well, I gave you the alfalfa illustration. I mean, I lightened it up a little bit there. Preacher, this is, this, I mean, I, borderline overboard. Okay, you're definitely not ready for the next verse then. You're just not ready for the next. Number three, the price of impurity is hell. I'm not making a big deal about nothing. Look at verse five. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, everyone, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. They're not going to heaven. I mean, is he saying that anyone who has committed any of these sins is not going to heaven? How many are hoping he's not saying that? Amen. My hand is up. Yeah. And the good news is he is not saying that. But he is saying this, that, that everyone who has sexual, sexual impurity as a pattern in their life. Everyone who has sexual immorality as a pattern in their life. Everyone who has covetousness or idolatry as a pattern in their life. Yeah, they're not going to heaven. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't get to heaven by becoming holy. That's work salvation, and nobody thinks that's right. But Scripture teaches, listen to me, that people that are going to heaven, their heart's desire is purity and holiness, and it's the increasing pattern in their life. It's the increasing pattern in their life. We may have a trouble. We may struggle. We may slip. We may fall. Yes, a just man does fall, but he gets back up again. He doesn't stay in it forever. Because if he does, Scripture's clear. 
This is what Christ has done in you. He's made you his child. You're dearly beloved. This is woven into the fabric of our DNA as believers. Let me illustrate. The other day I was hanging out. We got a little burger pizza truck. It's fun. It's a little fun family thing. I got some friends here from that they've been helping us. And I invite people to church all the whole time I'm there, which is not a lot, but I enjoy it. So I'm, I'm, up, I'm out there the other day. I'm taking orders. And I guess I said something that didn't sound like Arkansas. So she asked me, where are you from? I said, I'm from New Orleans. She said, I knew it. I knew you weren't from here. When I heard you say a few words, I could tell you were from, say it again. I said, Nolens. She goes, oh yeah. Yeah, you're, 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 you're an original. You're definitely from there. Only people that are from there say Nolens. My son the other day, Zoe said, dad, what? they don't talk like that then. I said, son, next time you're down there, which you'll be there this week for spring break, just listen. A true Cajun will say, it's woven into the fabric of my, my DNA as a geographically person that lived geographically 13 years in the middle of Cajun country. You, you meet my dad when he comes to visit, you'll notice, oh yeah, he's not from here. It's obvious. And for the follower of Jesus Christ, it should be very apparent for others to know to whom we belong and where we are from and where we are going. Increasingly apparent. Like more and more. Like, wow, I haven't seen you in a year. Man, you're really on fire for God. Well, I was back then, but nothing like now. And that's, I mean, I've had problems. It's been a tough year, but man, I'm, I'm growing. Is it increasingly obvious in your life? If not, that's what he means when he says in verse 5, for you may be sure of this. Serious. That everyone who has a pattern of sexually, of sexual immorality or impurity, or who is covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Strong, isn't it? If you are a slave to any sin and the pattern never breaks in your life. Listen, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? Free indeed. In fact, right now, let me introduce you to somebody who's been set free. Carrie, I want you to come. Carrie's going to take the microphone for just a few moments. And I, wanna, I want you to meet somebody who is, who is, who is bound by the chains the chains of addiction, the chains of immorality, the chains of, of drugs, the chain. But those chains have fallen. Yes. And hope was found. Yes. And now I'd like to introduce you to, to the director of the Hope Movement in Hot Springs and also a, uh, a very close relative to all of the Dauber family who's a member of our church. Carrie, tell your story. Tell us how we can support the Hope Movement. Okay, thank you, Brother Eric. Good morning, Gospel Light. Thank you for having me today. So, um, Pastor Eric's right. I can't tell you about the Hope Movement until I tell you a little bit about me and, and uh, why God has brought me there. And so there was a lot of things that happened to me when I was a child that uh, caused some holes in my heart, lots of traumas that I carried around uh, that, that were never healed. Um, and so I walked in darkness and in addiction and uh, bound by those traumas and those hurts uh, for 15 years. 
And, um, and I told brother Eric this morning too, I said, you know, um, I was, Jesus was talking to me this morning. I was getting ready to come and, and praying on the right words to, to, um, to say to y'all. And he says, it's okay. Just, just talk to him. And he said, you've been on that stage and you've had that microphone, this very same stage in your hand before. And the last time I was on this stage was when we were celebrating my dear grandfather's celebration of life. I was standing up here with my family and we were singing uh, Victory in Jesus. Harvey Dauber was my, my grandfather. Yes, if I can have this just lead with this much of him, I will be successful for the rest of my life. And so I stood up here singing victory in Jesus. I had already been an addict for seven years, and it took me another seven years for that song to come alive to me. I was singing it with a, a school book knowledge of what it was, but not a revelation of that my victory was in Jesus. And so I went along and bobbled along for 15 years. I can't tell you how many tears probably fell in this very house and prayers went up on my behalf. There's some praying people in this church that, that, um, that forced God's hands. <laughs> if you can do that, that's the only words I've got for it. Um, but I finally got in so much trouble. I was in, I was in jail. I could manipulate myself out of it. Um, you know, I could go into a four hour testimony to tell you the things that the devil uh, had me doing in my addiction. But when my grace finally ran out from the world, I looked to the one whose grace is sufficient. And he didn't disappoint. And when I was finally to that point to where I could let go of those hurts and that bitterness and that trauma and make room in my heart, the real manifest presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, showed up. And I didn't need the 12-step programs anymore. And I'm not saying anything bad about those because they work. But I'd done 12 steps so many times I could teach the teachers. And my step program was the one step to deliverance, and that's Jesus Christ. So this month, in a week, I think I forgot to tell the first services, um, in seven days, I'll have five years clean from 15 years of addiction. Wow. Amen. God restored. Jesus restored. He opened doors so fast for me. I didn't even have to pray for him. I didn't have to kick on him. I didn't have to beat on him. He restored my life so fast and so abundantly. I knew I didn't deserve it. When I prayed, it was tears and thank yous. That's all that I could get out. (laughs) And so in January of this year, I came to be at the Hope Movement as the director, um, which is a ministry that birthed out of Lake Point City Church from an amazing pastor, Pastor Greg Bears. Y'all probably know exactly who that is and, and his wife, Christy. Um, and they had a vision from God that they needed to help the recovery community in hot springs. And they didn't even have a clue about what addiction was. They just knew that God was telling them there was a need and we're very thankful for them that they listened. (laughs) So in 2013, the hope movement was born. Um, it, there was no, uh, house. It was members of their congregation that were housing ladies in need that were, um, trans transitioning out of addiction. And so they were hosting, um, they were called host families. 
Well, in 2016, God blessed the Hope Movement with an anonymous $150,000 check to buy a home. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. And so they purchased an eight-bedroom, eight-bathroom home. It used to be the house the nuns uh, stayed in whenever St. Joe, Vincent was St. Joe's. And so in, they remodeled it through 16, opened it in 17, and now it's, uh, it's a home for ladies in transition. And so when they come to us, they've got a little bit of clean time. They've got a little bit of Jesus, but they still don't have much. And some of them come straight from the jail, and they don't have much, except for what I had when I left the jail, and that was hope. Amen. <laughs> I didn't have anything by the world's standards, but I had Jesus, and I had hope. And that's all that I needed. <laughs> And so when they come to us, we, we get them hooked up with Christian counselors. Um, we teach them life skills. Uh, the people uh, from the community, churches pour into the Hope Movement and support us. Um, the community came together and made this house. This, that house does not belong to Lake Point. That house belongs to the city of Hot Springs. Uh, because without the community support and several different churches sponsoring rooms, it would not have been possible. And so we have a lot of people from the community come in and love on our ladies. You know, but besides all the life skills and, um, and the classes and the counseling, we know that we know the one missing piece in every addict's life is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's what we bring to the table. And that's what I bring to the table. I just don't want them to have that missing piece for as long as I had. So I'm doing everything that I can to give it to them. Amen. Everything that I can. Praise the Lord. <laughs> that's awesome. So, but, um, again, I just, you know, God told me that I needed to thank this congregation today, you know, because 15 years is a long time to pray for somebody a long time. Thank you. (laughs) And while you're here, let me tell one more thing. So she came to me about, I guess it's been a month and a half now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you gospel, the missions giving at this church, we have a surplus of, well over $10,000. The giving has been incredible. And we're, we just talked the other day, we need to find a way to support some other organizations. And when she came to me, I said, okay, God, that didn't take long. And so we are going to support the Hope, Hope Movement now as a new mission project. How's that? Isn't that great? <clears throat> and yes. So I told Carrie and Pastor Greg, we started 100 a month from the church and then we'll increase that as the years go on. And then we have our missions conference. And she's going to come in October. I didn't want to wait till October because the money's sitting there. Just, you know, man, the Lord may come back before October, right? We maybe help save one more lady off the streets. Yes. And so she is going to be back in October to share another testimony with all of our missions. And if you want to give something a little extra so the first check is a, check is a little healthier, a little stronger, uh, but we'll consistently do that. Any additional giving will always, if you, if you market Hope Movement, we'll go there. So not our regular faith promise, but any additional giving. So all in favor, say aye. Any opposed? It's carried. Amen. That was quick. Yeah. I love you, girl. <laughs> Thank you. Give her one more hand. That was awesome. And really what I meant to say is give Jesus a big hand because that's who's changed. Hope, fa- uh, 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 lives changed, hope found. And she is a life that has changed, and she's someone who found hope. Amazing. Notice with me for a moment in verse 5 here. It says, who is covetous? That is idolater. You ever thought about why he uses that particular word, idolater? That's crazy, because in what sense am I an idolater? Well, 
If I want what satisfies me, if I want what pleases me, if I don't want what God wants, then who is really the God in my life, church? I am. I am the God in my life. See, idolatry in this sense is worship of self. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to satisfy my fleshly desires. And so I don't care what God thinks. I'm going to do what I, because I'm God. I'm, I'm in charge of my life. And that is idolatry. And the price of that kind of impurity, Scripture says, is hell. Well, preacher, do you have any idea how difficult, difficult it is to be pure in 2021? Do you have any idea, preacher? I mean, okay, I get it. But, but it's hard. I get it, too. I understand it's hard. In fact, so hard that... I have a fourth point for you, and it's this, that the power of impurity is darkness. Let's just stay true to the text. Look at verse number six. And this is the reason why it's so powerful, because it's so dark. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Think with me for just a moment as I address the pulpit for a moment. Empty words, rationalizations that we make. I, I'm not as bad as someone else. Oh, you know what? It's not hurting anybody. Oh, what's the big deal? Pastor, you're going overboard. Or maybe pastors think that's a little too hard. Well, the Bible, yeah, I know it said that, but you know, it really didn't mean that. I think, you know, it's 2021. This was written like what? How many years ago? I mean, surely it's different now. So we'll just change it. Empty words. And because of these things, I, uh, impurity, immorality, and covetousness, the Bible speaks about the wrath of God coming upon the sons of disobedience. Church, can I, can I tell you this today? There are very many preachers today that uh, their primary concern is saying what the congregation wants to hear and not what the Bible says. Smiley preachers that just want to be liked. And so we want to be politically correct. So we, we come to a text like this and we're like, ah, let's skip that one. Let's, let's go to another one. Because that one there, I mean, how do you, you, you got you to gotta really talk about some things on that one. And that just, you know, it's, it, I might, I might get, make somebody mad. And, and I'm not trying to and I'm preaching it in love. But, but I still know this is tough. And so what's happened is we, it seems as if we have a culture full of empty words, deceiving words. And look on the screen at June chapter, Jude chapter 4. These certain people, these preachers, these pastors. And oh God, may it never be Erica Pacey. By the grace of God, so many pastors that have crept in unnoticed. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. That is an unbelievable prophecy of our current day. Christian leaders in the church that are perverting the grace of God. Because the grace of God can be perverted. You see, it seems as if we have so much grace, 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 love, 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 love. And by the way, I believe in grace and I believe in love and I preach that often and a lot like I just illustrated. But I believe we can do it to the point where the grace of God eventually gets distorted. Jude chapter 4 says that's when you can pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. The grace of God becomes an excuse to sin. Well, you know what? 
I've heard grace preached a thousand times and I just know I can do whatever I want to do and God will always be there to forgive me. And I, I, I get that, but can I tell you something? Listen to me. God's people don't take the call to holiness serious anymore and we're not convicted about purity. And I want to propose to you this morning that God's grace is there for you and God does love you and God will forgive you. But the grace of God cannot be preached in a way where holiness doesn't matter anymore. It can't. Because it does matter. Holiness does matter. It's part of a worthy walk. And Jude 4 says, to to not believe that is to deny your Lord and Master. To not believe that is to deny your only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Could we take a moment? It's like near the end of the message. And could we just do a quick purity test? All this is is a checkup. I'm asking you not to look at the person next to you. If you're a spouse, don't say, well, he sure needed that or she needed that or I'm glad he needed that. Could we just take this test in the silence of this moment ourselves? Question one. When was the last time you made a crude joke or laughed at one? A week? A month? A year? Question two. When was the last time you sat through a sexual scene on a television without turning it off or even really being disturbed by it? Question three. Are there dirty words in your vocabulary that link you to the world and not to Christ? Question four. Do you read books that tell stories of immorality and rationalize your enjoyment of them? Question five, do you go places where the sexual atmosphere is thick and not feel deeply troubled by it? Question seven or six, are you struggling with an attraction to a person who is not your spouse or if you're single, they're not a Christian? Question seven, do people sense the freedom to be off color around you? Do do, do they have a sense that you just tolerate it? Not really a big deal. Question eight, how do your convictions about appropriate entertainment differ from someone that you know doesn't know Christ? I think this is one that all of us really need to meditate on for just a moment. How does what we watch differ from what someone else watches that doesn't know Jesus? Question nine, what do you do frequently that you would not do if Jesus were right beside you. I mean, it is so clear in the text. It is so clear to me. Ephesians 5 and verse 7 says, do not become partners with them. Do not participate. Don't fellowship with. Let no not once be named among you. I think Scripture is calling here for a zero tolerance of sexual immorality, sexual sin, crude joking, zero tolerance. Ephesians 5.8, for one time you were darkness. When I read that, hey, Kevin, when I read that, I've read passages that say you were in darkness. You were of darkness. This one says, no, you were darkness. You were a card-carrying Satan worshiper. I mean, you were darkness. I mean, when I think of darkness, I think of Erica Pacey. You know, like, whoa, that's strong. It just jumped out of the page at me. For, but this is what you were. How many like the butts in Scripture? I love them. 
You were this, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Listen, church, it is a tough assignment in 2021 to be a light in the world. It is. But we are called to shine as light in the darkness. We're called to be light. That's our calling, Ephesians 5, 9. Because the fruit of light is found. You see, when somebody is really living in the light, you can see it in their characteristics. It's obvious. It's increasingly obvious. And and then the scripture says, these three things will be obvious. Number one, goodness. Someone walking in the light, a lot of deeds of kindness, a lot of caring for others. Secondly, the second fruit is, is righteousness, or let's just say right, doing the right things. A passion for moral purity and obedience to God's word. And then the word truth is in that passage. Speaking the truth, loving the truth, living the truth, sharing the truth. These are the fruits of walking in the light. Ephesians 5.10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then look at this. Right back. You think it's kind of over? Like, oh, good. It's over. No, it's not. Verse 11. Back to the theme. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead expose them. So it's not enough just not to do those things. Now, I need to be actively involved in exposing them. Again, a challenge. It's hard for a parent who knows their child is looking at pornography to take the time to approach them and to confront them and to deal with it. It's hard for a spouse who knows her husband or who knows his wife is doing something secretly behind their back. It's hard to address that, to to go to that person, just say, look, we got to talk. This is not right. I've got to expose this. It's not enough just not to do it yourself. You need to be involved in the exposing of That which is sexually immoral or impure covetousness. We can't turn away from it. We have to get it out in the open and deal with it. And that's why he says in Ephesians 5, take no part. Don't participate. Don't enable. Don't allow the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of these things. They do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and I love this. And here's what this verse is for. I believe God wants me to share this. You're sitting here this, this morning and maybe you're saying, Ugh, the worst Sunday in the world to come. Because, Pastor, you don't understand. I was doing so good. I had a good run. But this has been a tough week. I just haven't done very well this week. I got good news. Awake, O sleeper! Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Amen. It doesn't have to be a pattern in your life. And God's grace is sufficient. He wants to forgive. He loves you. This is why God has brought you to this place this morning. Awake, Christ will give you light. So here's the conviction. I will not tolerate personal impurity in my life. I'm going to give you four practical things, and then Craig's going to close us out. I asked Craig a week ago to prepare something. We started with Jesus, and our worship pastor for this Sunday is going to finish with Jesus. And what I'm going to do is give you four practical things. Here they are. Number one, establish patterns of moral purity. Establish patterns of behavior. I do these things, and I 
and I don't do these things. Put up some moral fences. Don't be out on the edge morally or you might fall over the edge. Here's how Billy Graham did it. Billy Graham, you've heard of Billy Graham? When I was a young teenager, somebody told me about the Billy Graham rule. So I thought I'd find it. And I did. Here it is, the second one. There's four. The second one is this. It's the danger of sexual immorality. We all knew as evangelists who had fallen into immorality while separated from their families by travel. So we pledged among ourselves to avoid any situation that would have even the appearance of compromise or suspicion. And so from that day on, I did not travel, meet, or eat alone with a woman other than my wife. We determined that the Apostle Paul's mandate to the young pastor Timothy would be ours as well. Flee youthful lust. Number two, remove the opportunity to fail. Scripture says in Romans 13, 14, to make no provision for the flesh. That's why I do think it's, it's a good thing to have um, like filtering channels, right? And software that gets blocked. And I don't, I don't know how to say all that stuff. I know we've got it all here at the church. And can I tell you sometimes, it is a pain. It's the most, it's really a hassle sometimes. To put these, you know, these protections there so I, I don't fail. So our staff, and how horrible will it be for a pastor on our staff to become unfaithful to his wife? It's devastating to a church when that happens. So we've got these filters and sometimes I have to say, hey, could somebody help me? I, I need to really get, and it's, it's a good thing that I need to do, but I can't get there for whatever word. This word won't, it's a hassle. Sometimes it's 30 minutes, an hour before, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Maintain accountability. James 5, 7, 16 says this. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Get a close friend who you can ask, hey, how are you really doing in your life? Not just how are you doing, but how are you, here's the, kick, here's the kicker, really doing. Hey, shoot me straight, bro. Let's maintain accountability. And then number four, count the cost of impurity. You see, the price that's paid for moral impurity is so immense. Lost reputation is one of the cost. Lifetime to build and a moment to forfeit. Devastation to family, devastation to children, devastation to grandchildren, devastation to loved ones. Lost moral authority. And I, I want to be able to stand here and, and preach a message like this. But if I'm unfaithful to my wife, it's going to be difficult to do that. Adrian Rogers taught me something. Years ago, 15, 20 years ago, he said, Eric, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to turn that computer on to sexual immorality, just get a picture of your wife and your family and ask yourself this question. Hey, Eric, are you willing to trade diamonds for dirt? Because that's what you'll be doing. Now, these moral fences and all of these practical points, they're good. But let's close with Jesus. Craig. So how do the moral fences and Christ or our convictions work together? That's really what we struggle with. Gospel Light is now a part of trying to help men get to Christ, see his holiness, and be purified. And we do that every. Thursday evening at 6.30, if you want to know more information, if you're a man and you're looking to see Christ and you're looking to get free from sin, Thursday, 6.30, we have something for you. 
Uh, you can talk to me right after the service. I'll be waiting right down here for you. But what is the best way that we can look at? What's an analogy that we could use to kind of help us understand how a conviction and a restriction work together? Well, first we have to understand that the, the standard or the moral fence or wall that we put up may be like building a wall of a city. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. They need a wall. But the wall is great if we know the purpose of the kingdom before we build it. The reason the wall is created is to create a space so that we can hear, see, trust, and fall in love with the king. So the wall creates this place for the city to prosper, but the, only, the city can only prosper if the king is good. And as the people become convinced that the king has their best interest at heart, and the king loves them, and they begin to trust the king more, the city prospers. What am I trying to say? The walls are great to create the space so you can have the freedom to pursue the king. But we do not boast in the wall. We do not boast in the restrictions. We boast in the king. It is all about the king. If you replace the good king with an evil king, those walls that once protected you now imprison you. It's all about the king. Gospel light, Jesus is that king. And we have to get to him. That's the purpose of the wall. That's the purpose of community. That's the purpose of our convictions is as we become convinced, that's convicted. As I am convinced that this king is holy, just, right, pure, and loving, I want to follow him. And I don't want what is impure. We, be, we don't become holy, right, and pure because of what we keep out. We become holy, right, and pure because of who we let in. And we have to get to a point where we let the king in. And we allow him to guide our lives. Allow him to expose things with his life. So when we see the king, we see who he is. We see who we are. We have the right to become children of God. And we see our hope. And how can we look at the king who knew no sin? Becoming sin for us on the cross. How can we look at him and not trust him? How can we view him on the cross and not believe he loves us? And if we can get to the point where we can see him, purity becomes a byproduct of his presence. We have to get in the king's presence if we are to maintain a conviction of purity. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, thank you for being here. God, we bow before you. God, we recognize that, Jesus, you are our pattern. You are our example. Father, may we imitate you as dearly beloved children. God, give us this morning victory. May this become the increasing pattern in our lives. 
Oh God, may we determine to have as our goal a zero tolerance for impurity. Zero. God, may our church determine to become a church where it's not once named among us. It's going to take some time. But God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord. You're growing us. You're changing us. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, they're not sure if they died, they'd go to heaven, that today would be the day that they come to know you. Oh, God, do a work. Do a work, a work that only you could do. And God, we come right now and we confess, bowing here, that you're our only hope. Jesus, Jesus, may we experience your freedom, the only freedom that truly sets us free. God, move and work in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?